0: no purchase necessary. VGW Group. we're prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Hey there. I'm Macaulay Peterson, editor-in-chief of Chess-Based News and guest hosting the podcast this week while Ben imparts chess knowledge to the next generation. Continuing from the last episode and our dive into chess politics, my guest in this show is International Master Malcolm Payne, who is a candidate for deputy president of FIDE on the ticket of the current incumbent deputy president, Georgios Makropoulos. Just a quick note before we jump to the interview in the interest of transparency. I worked for Malcolm's UK charity Chess in Schools and Communities as the producer of the London Chess Classic commentary webcast from 2010 until 2014. And Malcolm's also the owner of Chessbase USA, which is a distributor of Chessbase products. Speaking of which... If you're interested in anything chess and also want to support Ben's Perpetual Chess Podcast, you can use the special referrer link at perpetualchesspod.com slash chess base to place your order. We'll also have that linked in the show notes for this episode. Thanks for
0: listening and on to the show. Welcome back to
1: Perpetual Chess. I'm joined by English international master Malcolm Payne. Malcolm is the chief executive of the UK charity Chess in Schools and Communities, which he founded in 2009 and forms the basis of the annual London Chess Classic, a member of the Grand Chess Tour. Malcolm, thanks for speaking to me. It's great to be here, Macaulay.
2: I think I'm going to have to become a fan
1: of the podcast now. (laughs) We're uh, in a somewhat nondescript meeting room in the Leuven City Hall. Could I just
2: interrupt you there? I mean... You say nondescript, it it would be a perfect interrogation room, wouldn't it? I mean, (laughs) looking around... We've got blank walls, except we've got a
1: window, and there's no harsh light coming out overhead. But, oh, good! Uh, oh, there's a window. I hadn't spotted It's behind me. <laughs> but uh, the walls are bare, and well, we don't have one of those mirrors that uh, that you could be. How do you know the one-way glass? <laughs> well, unless that would be a one-way blackboard, maybe or whiteboard. But uh, anyway, it's slightly more echoey than uh, I would like in, a, in an ideal situation. But uh, with that out of the way, we are in Leuven, and we are we do have the most of the best chess players in the world playing blitz one floor below uh, which is very exciting and uh, well you actually just flew in this morning for the finale and i guess that your travel schedule is not likely to uh, get less intense with the addition of the few-day election campaign season yeah
2: we'll see actually i let the train take the strain
1: today. (laughs) all right
2: yeah i just went back for a day okay i had a meeting in uh, that i had to go to
1: Well, uh, before we get to the election news, I would like to uh, spend a few minutes on the Grand Chess Tour, since we're here. Um, The biggest change this year to the Tour is the new role of the London Chess Classic as a a smaller event that's featuring the top point-getters in the Tour as a whole. Can you talk about any new developments since the initial announcement in December?
2: Sure. So it will be the top four players out of the first four tournaments will come to London, and... We'll have six days of chess in the final. So there'll be a semi-final and a final. And in the semi-final, we'll play two classical games, one on the first, each on the first two days. And then there'll be Rapid and Blitz on day three. Then we'll have a rest day. And then, again, we'll have three more days. There'll be a third, fourth playoff. And there'll be a final. And the first part of the tournament will again be at the headquarters of the artificial intelligence company DeepMind in the Google headquarters in London, which we're very, very happy about. Uh, And then after the rest day, we'll move it back to the traditional home of Olympia in the west of London, the conference centre. And we're going to run actually the biggest London chess classic we've ever run because not only are we going to be having the Grand Chess Tour at Google, but while we're doing the Grand Chess Tour at Google, we may run. In fact, we're planning to run, but we just haven't exactly decided where yet. A whole London chess classic festival with the open tournament, the... Uh, chess teacher training courses uh, 500 children coming a day For chess lessons and tournaments Plus all the other things we do We just haven't decided where we're going to put that uh-huh. But we will actually be running two classics If you like at the same time The festival and schools And the professional grand chess tour So
1: it be quite a lot of work So they just they just won't play in the same,
2: sp- exactly. In the same space Exactly They won't play in the same space for That'll be for about four days So it will require a lot more work, a lot more effort, but actually the charity's expanded. We've got a much bigger team now. Chess in School's community is a lot bigger uh, in terms of certainly uh, headquarters staff than it was a year ago. So we reckon we can do it. So it should be great.
1: Well, that was actually one of my questions: was what the extent of the festival and the scholastic program would be, uh, because you will, of course, be coming right on the heels of the World Championship match, yes. we assume. Yes. And that should have some uh, strong ancillary benefits for the the festival, I would well, imagine. Well,
2: we hope that the World Championship in London will give chess in in Britain a great boost. That's what we're really, really hoping to see. Uh, it is a great opportunity. Of course, you know, I have to give out the statu- what I regard as the statutory health warning on that, which is, you know, that it's Aegon who are organising it. And... I haven't really noticed a very high standard of organisation from them at at any of their events really, Uh, or certainly not a a level of organisation I'm happy with, and so I'm very keen that the match takes place in London, but I want it to be organised well, I want it to be organised in a way that makes it conducive to a lot of spectators to come. Uh, I want it conducive to uh, getting very, very high media coverage. We obviously want to get politicians involved uh, because we need to raise the status of chess in the UK. That's, you know, that's our longer-term ambition. And having a world championship match in London is is really a great opportunity to do that. Having said that, you know, maybe when we come on later to the part of the discussion about the FIDE elections, um, you know, I'll have to mention that there may be some issues with the match being in London, but we're working very hard to ensure that it is because um, you know the English Chess Federation and virtually every English chess player just sees it as a fantastic opportunity. Although I would emphasize that in 2000 when Kasparov played, uh, played Kramit when, when, when Vlad beat Gary, um, actually that match was organized horribly. Very few people went to it and it made absolutely zero impact on chess in Britain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we must be careful not to fall into any of the traps that that the organizers of that match fell into of course I wasn't involved in it I, I resigned from the organization of that match for some while before when I realized that it wasn't going in a direction that I liked uh, so we'll have to see uh, how see how it goes but you know potentially it's a fantastic opportunity for English British chess
1: but you just don't want to set expectations too high
2: well you know we've seen what happened at Berlin you know I, I wasn't at New York but I got multiple bad reports as well you know I, I, I mean certain things about New York I think were quite good actually um, you know, I, I quite like quite like the studio broadcast. I thought having Judit it with the with the professional commentators was a fantastic mix, but I thought the spectator experience and you know the things going along alongside it looked very very poor, and that was the that was the the overwhelming feedback I got actually.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, the venue in New York, I remember, wasn't announced until I believe sometime in July, uh, which is quite late, I would think. Um, do you have any idea where the match might be take place in London this year?
2: Uh, I'm going to do a little bit of a Monty Python here and say yes. Um, but as that Python phrase goes, but more than that, I'm not going to tell you.
1: That, so. <laughs> One reason, as I understood, for the change in the format also was to try to still have the participation of Magnus Carlsen in the Grand Chess Tour. Yes. That obviously didn't pan out. Yes. Um In the past, in 2016, he also didn't play, but then you had some wild cards on offer. How did it come about that you wanted to try to make sure that everybody could play in all the events leading up to the final this time? And and then the wild cards came in, I guess, very late in the process?
2: I mean, we we really went out of our way to try and help Magnus participate. Mm -hmm. And we initially got the hint that he would. But, you know, it's obvious that in a world championship year, it's going to be harder for him to add four or five tournaments to a schedule. I mean that that's just that's just obvious. Yeah. However, we thought that it was possible, and we tried to arrange the tournaments in such a way that they'd facilitate his participation in the whole thing. Um, that even meant sort of potentially moving the classic a little bit later if if required. All, all sorts of things like that, and also by limiting the amount of classical chess in the in the classic, you know, we thought that would make it a lot easier for Magnus. If there are only four classical games, mm-hmm. you know, then um, that wouldn't be too much of a strain, even two weeks, you know, two weeks after a match. Um, but in the end he decided he didn't want to Now at that point I really thought that Magnus ought to be You know involved as a wildcard At every opportunity I think it's important And um, however I was in a minority On the uh, Grand Chess tour So uh, he wasn't But I'm still hopeful Magnus is going to make an appearance in the tour I think there's still a good chance that he may uh, That he may play
0: Oh really? Yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe he can play in,
2: you know, the the, the field hasn't been announced for the St. Phil sure. Cup, for example. Yeah. So if Magnus felt he wanted to play that, I'm sure he'd be very welcome in that. Uh, you know, I can't speak, I don't speak for the St. Yeah. Louis Chess Chess Club, you understand, but, you know, it would add to the tournament, wouldn't it? It would be great if he could play in that.
1: Okay. Well, the Grand Chess Store is known partly for doing very excellent broadcasts. One thing that uh, just passed at the end of May, Fide had requested that... Um, uh, they receive comments from interested parties on their broadcast policy. And I was curious if the GCT submitted any comments.
2: Well, I think I, I did give an interview to Peter Doggers where I expressed the GCT's policy pretty clearly. Uh, this was at the first Paris tournament at the Maison de la But uh, That would be two, two years, years ago. ago. Two years ago, yeah. Okay. And um, what I would say about the FIDE broadcast policy is, first of all, it's not a policy. It was just rather stupidly put out on the website with the word policy and i'm totally against it. it is ridiculous passionately against it have been actually forever in fact i um <laughs> in 1993 i actually broke the broadcast policy of the kasparov short match by sneaking the moves out um and got thrown out of the got thrown out of the savoy so you know I, i've got form in this regard <laughs> um you know i think that uh, that until such time as the courts rule um that games of chess can be copyrighted or that tournament organizers can can control the flow of moves until the courts rule that that is the case we must carry on on the previously accepted basis that yeah, a chess move is little more than a football score cannot be copyrighted or or it's or its distribution controlled and so i'm totally against what Aegon has been trying to do i uh, thought that That even the publication of the FIDE document was a serious mistake, Uh, and there's absolutely no way that that policy can a be implemented and b enforced. Actually, because if you lose in every court, how are you going to enforce it? I mean, Acon even lost in Russia. That 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 surprised me (laughs) actually. You know, so I, I know they've lost in a few jurisdictions, and I think now's the time just to give up and just say. If you own the World Chess Championship, produce a really fantastic video stream with really good commentary, like in like Acon did in New York, for example. I thought that was great. I thought that was really worth paying for. Actually, got to say, I thought it was superb. Make arrangements with all the other broadcasters in the world to make sure that your sponsors get prominence than any other you know other broadcasts. Do some deals, and let's just stop fighting. Because as far as I'm concerned, the argument is over until such times as the courts rule in a different way. And I really think that far too much energy and, and effort and time and money has been wasted on this. And the other thing is, you know, that the um, the online chess providers, that's to say, you know, for example, I don't know, Chessbase, PlayChess, uh, Chess.com, ICC, LieChess, Chess24, all these providers, they, they, they form an, an integral part of the chess world. You know, every single serious chess player and you know, very, very many millions of casual players use these, use these websites. And they help propagate chess. They help develop chess. They're probably the biggest driving force for the expansion of chess. So what the hell is the governing body of chess doing trying to pick a fight with them? Should be working with them. And, you know, sorry, I've, I've gone slightly into election mode and you haven't asked me about the FIDE elections yet. But that's my view on it. My view on it, If I mean, if the GCT was even going to be bothered... To, uh, to, to, to reply to that, to that policy. I think possibly some kind of Federal Express parcel to the FIDE offices um, containing a box of matches.
0: Well,
1: that's, uh, that's pretty clear.
2: Yeah, very clear. I, and it will remain clear, by the way. You know, I, not everyone in FIDE agrees with me, but, you know, I'm not changing my view on that.
1: I thought it was interesting that there were divergent approaches taken by Norway Chess... Um, This year, they restricted the PGN availability and even kept their YouTube live stream, which was free, uh, unlisted on YouTube, uh, so that you, well, presumably so that you would try to find it first on Mm NorwayChess.com. And my impression was that if they could have limited it entirely to NorwayChess.com without having to incur some expenses related to that they would have. I don't mm-hmm. actually know. that I'm speculating. But the GCT really has actively promoted the PGN access and also the webcast and, you know, encouraging the embedding mm. and sharing mm. uh, with, with cooperating right. with websites. Yeah. But th- this wasn't, as, I, as far as I recall, an issue in Norway's chesses leaving the GCT two years ago.
2: No. No, Norway Chess leaving the GCT was simply that they just didn't like the direction we were going in. They wanted to go in a slightly different direction, particularly with regards to their own tournament. So it just there just wasn't a conversion of objectives.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, you know, it's just one of those things where you shake hands and say, good luck to you and good luck to you.
1: Yeah. Well, to connect this with the FIDE election, does your joining the Macropolis team in any way imply a connection between the Grand Chess Tour and FIDE going forward?
2: No, absolutely not. I mean, I mean, if you mean electorally, absolutely not. If you mean cooperatively, then yes. I mean, I think my view on the current World Championship cycle is that the Grand Prix, for example, just weren't a success, and I just can't really see um, that they have a, that that they have a place in in future cycles unless uh, a white knight comes out of the uh, comes out of the woods and says, you know, here's a huge amount of money to run them properly actually with significant prize funds and I wouldn't be against actually the Grand Chess Tour providing at least one spot in the candidates it's an elite series of events it's a real tough test and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be against that at all actually it seems you see I always thought when I, when I agreed to get involved in the Grand Chess Tour when I agreed that the London Chess Classic should get involved in the Grand Chess Tour the way I saw the Grand Chess Tour was if you like the same way as you see the Premier League in, in English football Soccer for the Americans And, I mean, I know most uh, Americans can watch the Premier League now. And and what's important about the Premier League is that it set new standards in how to organise and how to broadcast and how to package tournaments. And because it was so successful in that, all the best players wanted to take part in it. It became the competition that actually pretty much dominates, actually, the host football association in the UK. You know, if the Premier League wants something, the Football Association of England can't really argue with them i mean of course you know they can try but in general the wishes of the premier league predominate because it's become the premier tour, the soccer football tournament Mm -hmm. in in england and i always thought that perhaps what the grand chess tour should do is to try to become the premier chess tournament you know in the world and show people how it should be done and i'd say that to an extent we've managed that you know i think we still need to make another quantum leap but I think that the Grand Chess Tour certainly has acquired sufficient status—not necessary to merit, but to be able to justify its inclusion in part of the World Chess Championship cycle. I mean, you know, certainly our tournaments are a heck of a lot more interesting, exciting, better packaged, better broadcast, and more sought after than the you know than those Grand Prix tournaments.
1: Yeah, especially this past year, where it was obviously that they were cutting uh, costs.
2: Yeah, they were particularly bad this year. Yeah. yeah.
1: Now, there was an interesting uh, op-ed by uh, jan Ludwig Hammer about that involved the Grand Prix uh, advocating for the use of more KOs. And Well, the final is a kind of a mini-KO. Um, so I was curious about your, your thoughts on that. Well, if you had a chance to read it. If not, the basic premise was just that uh, knockout tournaments are very exciting to watch. And so it, it, why not have more of them? You see, the thing
2: is, we already have the World Cup, which is a fantastic knockout tournament. And so... If we didn't manage to organise an agreement between the Grand Chess Tour and FIDE uh, over the Grand Chess Tour, maybe providing a candidate or even two, I'd be very happy for the World Cup to have four. Because the World Cup is very, very democratic. And I think that, that has a lot to be said for it. I think Magnus is also quite a fan of knockouts as well, by the way. And so I'd be perfectly happy for the, for the World Cup to have either four places or perhaps have two World Cups, you know, something like that um because i think i think i think i don't disagree with you john Ludwig on that you know they are incredibly exciting uh, you you always get a winner you know i mean some of the i mean oh gosh i mean i got have speak cuz i also write a chess column every you know 365 days a year in the daily telegraph yeah. and possibly 365 people, really yeah yeah I do 365 i've been doing it for i don't know 30 odd years Um, and I I think I'm up to about 10,000 columns I have to do this research because if if I do do a 10,000th one I will have a bit of fun with it Um, I've got to say that probably the biggest pain last year was actually trying to figure out the Grand Prix scores and who could win and what would happen and you know if he gets this or if that's a draw I mean it was just ridiculous so bad presentationally you know it really made me suffer whereas you know a knockout it's real easy folks one of them's going to win Right. Yeah. So I, I, I do have sympathy for John Ludwig's view there, actually.
1: Okay. Well, your interest in running for the deputy president spot on the macro team was largely predicated on the need to end the era of Kirsan Alimjanov. Yes. This has also been one of the main um, reasons for Nigel Short running as well. Mm-hmm. How does the dynamic of the FIDE presidential race change with the addition of Arkady Dvorkovich to the race?
2: Okay, I think we should be more specific. We have the addition of Arkady Jokovvit to the race, but I think that also means that Kurzan is almost certainly out right so we haven't had a we haven't had a confirmation that, but let's have the conversation on the basis that he's that he's gone. I agree, yeah, one of the more unpleasant aspects of Kurzan's tenure, and there were very many was. What I'd regard as, as a Russian domination of FIDE. Now I'm not anti-Russian. Russia is a great chess nation with great chess players, great chess tournaments, great chess tradition, and you know it, it ought to play a full and, and and prominent part in world chess. But it's dominate. You know I don't want it to dominate the governing body. And my fear is that if uh, Arkady Dvorkovich is elected president, Russia will continue to dominate. Uh, the World Chess Federation, and we've seen what's happened in practice with Ilumzhinov being in charge, the organisation's managed to lose its bank account. And, you know, this this was just like some kind of slow-motion train crash, wasn't it? You know, Ilyam-Ginov got was sanctioned, and the bank said, look, you know, your, your president's been sanctioned. And then they said it again, then they said it again, they said, we well, you're going to lose your account. And then they said, "Nope, you're going to lose your account on this date. And then we did. They meant it. And they meant it. And why shouldn't they mean it? Yeah. You know, speak to any banker. OK, uh, I mean, there's a um, <laughs> there is actually quite an interesting article in The Economist uh, uh, of a few weeks ago about um, America's domination of the financial system because of the prevalence of the dollar. And you can like it or not like it. But the reality is, it is there. America the America. America carries a huge amount of clout in, in the world of finance and trade, because if America decides that you're in breach of sanctions, they can cut you out of dollar transactions. And I can't remember the exact number in the Economist, so but I think it was something like 60%, you know, 60% of all transactions are conducted in dollars. I mean, there was, so, there was some statistics to some to the effect of, in many countries, the value of imports in dollars is six times greater than the value of exports in dollars. You know, dollars are very, very important. And so you can't really take this kind of chance. And therefore, you know, my concern would be that if, if, if there was Russian domination of FIDE, you know, we might end up cooperating with more sanctioned figures. I mean, one thing that slightly troubled me in this regard um, is that the Congress, I think, United States Congress, has actually issued a, if you like, a pre-warning to other uh, figures in Russian politics and, and business, saying, um, this is the list of people who are next for sanctioning. And uh, I had a brief look at it yesterday, and I think Arkady Dvorkovich was on there at number 88. So obviously that's a little bit of a worry too. You know, and I, I'm making no comment about whether you know whether it's right or wrong or anything. I'm just saying this is the reality.
1: That the same uh, risk associated with the is really more about the status quo of having Kremlin-connected figures being. In I fear the top so. Of FIDE.
2: I fear so. Yes, and you know, one one nation doesn't have to dominate the organization. It is a global organization after all, mm-hmm. uh, and so I think that that you know. Uh, chess players and particularly delegates if any of them are listening you know need to need to need to to consider that so i won't be pulling out of the race Uh, i won't be leaving the ticket um, just because ilam ginoff is out although of course i celebrate that heartily you know we'll look back on it as a historic mistake and all the people in fide who facilitated it and that includes some of the people i'm running with okay i don't hide from that you know, realize will have to realize that they facilitated his tenure for far, far too long.
1: I was interested in one detail that um, Kirsan was referred in some way, or there was a report to the ethics commission. Well, first of all, what is the difference between a report and a complaint, okay. and okay. what is the what, what, what the purpose, purpose and what yeah. will happen now? If yeah,
2: one of the things that's going to happen in FIDE if I'm elected is that the standard of English on the website is going to improve. <laughs> you know, I don't have a PhD in English language, but you know, I know how to write it and. um Actually, it is a complaint. I believe. (laughs) Uh, Essentially, okay, I'm slightly limited in what I can say here. It is pretty obvious in sports governance that if you have a president who is sanctioned, that that ought not to be possible. Let's put it that way. And FIDE is affiliated to the IOC, and it was pretty obvious to the IOC that you know that this was problematic. And, uh, you know, I I guess uh, uh, it it just occurred eventually to the FIDE top brass that, in fact, although there's nothing in us in the FIDE statutes, and that needs to change, by the way, to preclude someone being president while sanctioned, there probably ought to be, and that surely it's just unacceptable. Surely it's something that should go to the Ethics Commission. And also, if it's appealed, if the Ethics Commission agrees and it's appealed, there's a good chance that the Committee of Arbitration in Sport in Lausanne would uphold the complaint. So actually, why not launch it? And at the same time, I thought one of the weaknesses of, um, this is before I became involved, one of the weaknesses of, uh, of the Presidential Board's actions, I mean, they were very good when they, tried to, when they basically kicked Illumzhin off out and removed him from executive control. That was excellent. But all sorts of other things should have been done. So, for example, his name and picture stayed on the website for far too long. Okay? And by not sending a complaint to the Ethics Committee, they weren't sending the right kind of message to the bank. And I think that that you know that, that also that, that, that this is also something that's helpful for for external use. I mean, we will get our bank account back if Ilham Gioff is not president anymore. Now, we either wait until he's un, until he's unelected, <laughs> but that's now not going to happen. but when the, when the complaint was made, he was still in the race, and so it was thought that that was a good idea to at least show the bank we're trying to get rid of him quicker um so you know there are all sorts of motivations for that one. Is just right, he should be out. Secondly, it helps show the bank that, that we mean it. And three, it shows to our parent body, the IOC, that we're serious about it as well.
1: So would the Ethics Commission uh, agreeing on the complaint, I mean, could that remove him from office? Or is that something that could only happen at the General Assembly? I think the issue
2: is that there's nothing in the statutes mm-hmm. that facilitates it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, but it. But I mean, one of the things it, that, that they could do potentially was, is prevent him, try and prevent him from standing, for example.
1: Of course, you you also run the risk of, you know, taking a body that is ostensibly supposed to be kind of an arbitrator, a neutral arbitrator, and and politicizing it. The Ethics Commission involved in the elections seems a little dangerous.
2: Yes, you are on dangerous ground. But, you know, there there are other very compelling reasons to take that course of action as well. But I agree. In general, you don't want the Ethics Commission taking a position, should we say.
1: And being able to, to meaningfully interfere. Yeah.
2: Although, of course, you know, uh, I think um, Gary Kasparov and Ignatius Leong could claim, for example, that when they were kicked out for... Um,
1: That's already happened in other You ways, know, in 2014,
2: police. that that was political, too. Yeah. I mean, I remember complaining at the time that I thought it was political.
1: Well, I, I mean, the the actual commissioners are appointed by the presidential board, or or they're. Not, I mean, they're not uh, they're not elected in some kind.
2: Unfortunately, of... Unfortunately, I mean, you know, you're essentially reliant on the the honesty and integrity of those people. Yeah. Okay, that's what you and uh,
1: you know. Okay, I was speaking to someone sort of along the ethics theme um, about the election recently, who said that in his view, Nigel would make a bad president because he wouldn't pay off delegates from small federations. So I guess the implication is that he wouldn't be able to govern the organization in in a sense. But it it seemed it was very depressing to me. I'm going to stop
2: you right there. I mean, you know, the the one thing that has to stop is the end of money politics, right? I mean, is that really a
1: prerequisite to win was my thought?
2: (laughs) Well, no, if it's a prerequisite to win, then let's just give up Let's just give up. I wouldn't be interested. If I thought that was a prerequisite to win, I wouldn't be taking part. Simple. It isn't a prerequisite to win this time, put it that way. I mean, I have concerns uh, about the nature of the campaign now that the Russian government is so obviously behind it. I obviously have concerns about that. But as far as uh, our ticket's concerned, no, it's not a prerequisite to win. And uh, delegates will not be receiving any money. And all my fellow members of the ticket know that if I hear of any, uh, any impropriety in that regard, it'll go straight up on Twitter, it'll go straight to my lawyers, it will be publicised. Simple. We need to set much higher standards of governance. I mean, there's been a lot of hypocritical rubbish from Nigel Short about this um, about the Angolan uh, chap who, was, uh, who left our ticket. Uh, and I just want to set the record straight on that. You know, I certainly admit that uh, for some reason I didn't find the uh, historical allegations against him from 2010 when I looked into all my fellow members of the ticket. Don't know why, I've got to say when I tried a th- three or four times I found it, but as soon as I'd read them, understood them, established that they hadn't been answered, uh, at least publicly, I told my fellow member of the ticket, uh, it's very simple. Um, you know, I know you know uh, Mr. Jaime very well, I know he's uh, worked very hard for the organisation and served on the presidential board, but I'm not standing with him. So, please speak to him and tell him that we're at some force. You know, a very difficult position, but Malcolm Payne certainly won't stand with us if we do. And would you mind standing aside? And that was done real
1: fast. And then he submitted a resignation letter from FIDE vice president that you've seen? Yes. And that means that he will no longer be FIDE vice president even in advance of the election? Oh,
2: I suspect. No, I think he's still a FIDE vice
1: president, actually, so he's but he's just not on our ticket. ticket yeah. For the next election, campaign. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean I'm actually I'm not comfortable with him being a vice president, but okay. I mean, what am I? I'm just a candidate, so I've got no no role in that. So
1: Yeah. Well, we certainly have seen in the past some credible, substantiated allegations of vote buying. Um, the by, di- by me, no, I mean, no, no, I've, no, I've made them. Oh, you've made the allegations. Yeah, they, in past, the past. I mean, I've witnessed them. Yeah, sure. So it strikes me that the the dynamic of a three way race actually is a bit different than we've seen in the past in that regard. Because if you had one of of any, you know in any uh, trio uh, trying to game the system, then there are going to be two others. That would yes, be complaining about it. Presumably yes. allied yes. in that in that At respect. least in that regard.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yes.
1: Um, now, of course. There is another very important factor that money plays in election campaigns that's perfectly legitimate, uh, traveling around, meeting people, and so it on. Is. So to be competitive, presumably all of the, the parties have to have some kind of budget, some kind of funding to be able to, uh, to effectively get the, their messages out. Mm. Um, how is the Macropolis campaign funded? Uh, very poorly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we haven't even
2: got the money together to do a website yet. But that will be that will be resolved. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, I'm trying to raise some money.
1: And um, forgive my ignorance, but under the election rules, presumably no FIDE money can be used for election. No. And
2: actually, FIDE personnel shouldn't get involved either. Uh I mean, obviously, that could be occasionally difficult when messages pass, you know, through. But but actually, I think that's just proper and right.
1: So your view, I mean, you've, you've said that you were comfortable but didn't speak in any detail about the, the transference of few days money to these holding companies in Hong mm. Kong and Switzerland. Mm. That's uh, basically, you, you find the, the situation lamentable but, but satisfactory.
2: The treasurer took the necessary steps and needs to be commended for that because t- it wasn't easy. I mean, you know, for three or four days, uh, the money was actually frozen. Yeah. It was actually frozen for three or four days. So um, Macropolis and Siegel, you know, got, got the lawyers on the case and they managed to unfreeze it. And so then it was, uh, it was sent to a, a perfectly reputable institution, by the way. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, uh, oh, I believe it should be safe there until such time as Ilomzhinov is clearly not our president anymore. Uh, at which point we can go back to any bank, I would say, and get banking facilities.
1: Yeah, is there any mechanism to ensure that, that those funds can't be used for election-related expenses?
2: That's a good question. Uh, I'd say that the the, um, the verification commission, of course, would notice. And one of the things I'd like to institute would be more real-time access by the verification commission. So I don't think it's really, I don't think it's really good just to have you know one or two meetings a year. It just seems to me that. If you're going to have proper oversight, that oversight ought to be in real time.
1: Yeah, because there's often a very long time lag before we see the, the audited records. Exactly,
2: exactly. So, you know, it seems to me that's one area that could really be improved, actually.
1: What about uh, feeding activities that are substantively useful, like trainer seminars, arbiter mm. seminars, but that occur globally and sometimes have been argued that are in some ways related to election campaigning?
2: Genuinely, I don't know anything about that. I I mean, I I, I see on the FIDE website that a lot of the time there are all sorts of training seminars taking place in in various parts of the world. I mean, it's clear, isn't it, that, you know, if you you want the federation to be your friend, you will support them. Um, And one of the proposals I have, which you'll see on our website when it comes out, is actually clearly defined levels of support for federations. And, you know, I don't see really that one federation should get more than another if you like, if they're all really, 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 really really poor countries. But at the same time, you've got to bear in mind as well that chess administration suffers from a shortage of people willing to do it. Mm -hmm. And very often training seminars, I'd say it's not necessarily a political decision. It's the same with training seminars, similes, tournaments, anything. They take place Mm -hmm. in the places where there are people with the sufficient enthusiasm and drive and energy to actually organise them so... Yes, to an extent that these could be, uh, you know, you, you, these these could be used, but I don't think that's particularly significant or, or too much to be worried about. I mean, you know, the thing that we really just want to stamp out is making sure that nobody's paid to vote in a particular way.
0: Yeah,
2: you know, a training seminar here or there doesn't really doesn't really bother me too. Shouldn't
1: much. be a yeah. substantial influence on yeah. that. Okay, um, what's your view on the use of proxies? That's to, just to, to explain. It should be, it should be limited. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you're brought up here in person. No, a proxy, proxy
2: vote is where, you, is where you give your vote to someone else to cast for you. I mean, clearly it should be limited, I'd say probably to one per delegate, something like that. I mean, there are always cases where somebody's taken ill just before or can't come for whatever reason. So I think what we do have, this is the first election I've been involved in as a candidate. So, you know, I'm still learning the ropes, if you like. But there is a deadline for people to be named as the people who are going to cast the vote. And at that point, there ought to be uh, very limited ways for that person's name to be changed, because that's a classic case of abuse, for example. If somebody then can't turn up, they should be able to give their proxy to someone. It's just I think that it ought to be limited to one per delegate. That's how I'd probably see it.
1: Okay. Well, you mentioned not having a website. Uh, I've noticed already that a lot of the election banter has been taking place on Twitter, and even Macropolis himself joined recently. Yes, shock horror. Macro
2: joins Twitter. <laughs> this yes. could be the first yes. campaign yes. that yes.
1: is waged primarily via Twitter, it seems to me.
2: Yes, it, it, it could be. Um, we'll have to see. I mean, I think that uh, that one of the things that... Uh, that I mean, when when Arkady Dvokovic uh, threw, um, threw his fur hat into the ring... One of the things that occurred to me was that, of course, that you know, Nigel Short is, is using Twitter quite a lot, and you know, he is in a sense attempting to be a disruptor, and that you know, in many ways, he you know, he's almost taking a few leaves out of Donald Trump's book, and it just occurred to me, of course, that he has another thing in common with Trump, which is that you know he's going to be helping Russia, because essentially all Nigel is doing is taking votes away from the front runner, which is Macropolos and my ticket. Uh, and actually just giving uh, Arkady Dvorkovich or anyone from Russia whoever it's, it's, it's selected by the RCF on June the 26th uh, a better chance of winning. I think uh, Nigel's getting a little bit too Trumpian. For you're, my, you're not my swayed liking.
1: by his uh, contention that, that the, the dynamics of a three-party race are not as straightforward as the Russia or anti-Russia vote being split?
2: No, I'm not. I just see him as giving... Uh, that's giving Djokovic a better chance, actually, particularly because once Nigel's been eliminated in the first ballot. I mean, as Nigel's himself said, you know, the second ballot can be unpredictable. Um, it's just that, you know, the second ballot isn't going to include him, and it's the unpredictability of it. Obviously, is a slight is a slight concern because I know that, you know, from my point of view. Well, I mean, it's just clear that if uh, Nigel's supporters and our supporters are combined, we ought to win easily in the first ballot and obviously that would be my preferred outcome
1: yeah i mean this potentially must be a a contentious point within the english chess federation as well uh that there is a little bit of a split i mean well linking it back to twitter you and nigel engaged some pretty uncharacteristic barbs a few weeks back uh, it seems to me i think a few of them were even deleted possibly <laughs> <laughs> maybe i don't know Perhaps there's something I missed, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, there must be many people within uh, the ECF that that would like to see some kind of reconciliation or some kind of united front. Uh, yes, but uh, doesn't seem uh, like. I mean,
2: it would be it would be nice, you know, because Nigel and I agree on a huge amount. I think as I've said publicly, you know, we agree on a lot of the a lot of the problems in FIDE, and we've. You know we've actually fought on three election campaigns together, mm-hmm. you know obviously he was more involved than I was because he, he was a much more prominent person in those days, although nowadays I'd argue I'm at least as prominent as him because of all the work I've done in, in the grand Tour and with the charity and everything else but but unfortunately i just um as as for the for the reasons I've made very very clear, you know I don't see Nigel as a great leadership candidate I mean you know he's deficient in many many respects uh it's just that you know, he and I agree on an awful lot, so it's a shame that we can't work together. But I don't think, it, I just don't think it's going to happen. I just, gotta, you know, I, I think one of the, one of the points I, uh, that, that, that I'd make to Nigel, which I, watch, which I have made, which I made last, uh, the night before last at dinner, um, was that, you know, given that my objectives for the improvement of FIDE are very similar to his in many ways, you know, he really ought to be Publicly stating that, uh, you know, in the event he's eliminated, he wants his supporters to vote for our ticket because, you know, I I intend to try and improve things very much along the lines that Nigel wants to do things in, in all kinds of ways, as I've expressed already in, in, in interviews. Mm-hmm. Well, presumably
1: there's a lot of time for
2: those discussions to continue. I'll say one more thing, Macaulay, on this. Yeah, I, I have someone who advises me on a veteran of many political campaigns who gives me lots of advice, good advice. And he's been proved right every time. And he said, there will be surprises. He says, there will be twists and turns that you had not
1: anticipated. And if one of
2: those twists and turns is that Nigel and I end up on the same side, I'd be very happy about that.
1: All right, well... Thank you very much. I know you're, you probably have a zillion things to do. I hear Garry Kasparov is around, although I haven't seen him yet. Yeah, I can't, I don't, I can't get
2: feel the vibe, but I can usually can when he's in the building. <laughs> so I suspect he's still, the, he might be back at the hotel.
1: I don't know. All right. Well, uh, best of luck to you and thanks again very much oh. for coming on. The no, thank you,
2: Macaulay.
0: The new Perpetual Chess theme music is courtesy of Geert Vandervelt. Special shout-out to him. I also want to thank everyone who supports the podcast. That includes people who tell their friends about it, people who write positive reviews on Apple Podcasts, and most of all, those who have donated to support the show. I spend about five hours a week on each episode, and even though I love doing it, it can be hard to find the time. Without the support of my Patreon and PayPal Perpetual Chess partners, the show would not be possible. They are... Adam Ralph, Adam Vrancoolge, Adrian Gutierrez, Andres Chris. I hope I did okay there, Andres on your name. Alex Pejas, Chris Wainscott, Chad Hilton, Chris Lott, Christopher Wood, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Chris Flanagan, Daniel Naylor, Daniel Schaefer, Gary Andrews, Greg Shahadi, James Bonastia, Jason Dunbar, Jennifer Valens, Jeffrey Martello, John Fernandez, Jen Shahadi, Jens Green, Jerry Wells, John Thompson, Johnny McMenamin Kelly Palmer. Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Lorraine Doré, Matthew Passy, Macaulay Peterson, Matthew Tedesco, Pascal Charbonneau, Paul Sweeney, Peter Lux, Peter Merrifield, Randy Tempo, Ricky Rahalva, Rob Lazorchak, Robert Steiner, Tatia Vabrahamian, Thomas Sonics, Thomas Tachenko, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Todd Bryant, Tony Rotello, Victor Vrenkul, Zhao Cheng, and Jivko Stoyanov. Thanks a lot, everyone. I'll be back next week with another great...